This is the Wellness Puzzle Podcast with Andrew Jobling, author, speaker, educator, entrepreneur, and AFL player. Join Andrew as he continues his lifelong journey as a student of human behavior. This podcast will help you live your passion, explore your potential, step into your power, and embrace your possibilities. Embrace your possibilities. possibilities. Hello, this is Andrew Jobling, and welcome to the Wellness Puzzle Podcast for another week. I have a guest this week who is an inspiring lady all the way from LA in the USA. Kimberly Vandenberg is an Olympic swimmer, and her journey to make the Beijing Olympics as a actually a 200-meter butterfly, but she didn't make the team in 200 butterfly. She actually made the team for 200 freestyle relay which is interesting in itself. But, wow, what a journey of resilience as she had to overcome five attempts to make the Olympic team before she actually did it, which is incredible in itself. And her message is powerful. Her story is inspiring. And the lessons, wow, this conversation is full of profound and life-changing lessons. It's a wonderful conversation. I know you're going to really enjoy Kimberly's enthusiasm, her passion, her effervescence. If that's a word I could use, you're going to love it. So here's my conversation with Kimberly Vandenberg. I am so excited to be sitting here with Kimberly Vandenberg all the way in LA. And I'm in here in Melbourne and I just love the fact that we can have a conversation across the world. So Kimberly, thank you for being part of the show. Thank you so much for having me, Andrew. I'm so thrilled to be here tonight or tomorrow for you. <laughs> well, it's tonight for you. It's today for me. It's Wednesday for you. It's Thursday for me. So we're not only are we traversing the globe, but we are traversing the time barriers as well. It's almost like, you know, it's a little bit back to the future type thing. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, it is. How's life in LA at the moment? You said it's hot. Yeah, it's pretty hot right now. It's, you know, 6.43 p.m. and it feels like the middle of summer, but it's the mid middle of October. So, you know, I was just in New York last year and so I'm really missing the fall season, but it's going really well. I mean, it's busy and things are good. And so, Kimberly, we're going to talk about your wonderful achievements and your Olympic success as a swimmer and all of that stuff. But I like keeping the really interesting, meaty story to the second section of this podcast because I want to keep people listening, right? But you're doing some amazing stuff at the moment. You've got a business called Kim Swim, and yes. and so you work with junior and upcoming athletes. Is that correct? Yes. So tell us a little bit about what you're doing at the moment. Yeah, for sure. Um, so my company is called Kim Swim Studios, and I work with younger athletes that learn to swim, competitive swim, and I'm really helping them develop the, the life skills that they need to, first of all, save their life in the water, but also balance their life with school, with social life, and training. And especially with the pandemic, it's been really tricky for so many different people. Um, I also work for a company called Rise Athletics. And that's with two of my teammates from the 2008 Olympic Games, Caroline Burkel and Rebecca Sony. And we mentor younger athletes to promote positivity and health and mental health for everyone. Wow. So isn't it cool? I mean, sport, there's such a wonderful flow on from, from the lessons in sport that can be applied in all areas of life, isn't it? Certainly around resilience and persistence and learning and overcoming and all the things. And I know you've got a pretty amazing story of overcoming and resilience, which we'll talk about, but you yeah. talk about balance and yes. that's a really important topic, isn't it? I mean, what are you finding at the yeah. moment is, is some of the struggles for people 
and why you think teaching balance is so important? One theme that we work on a lot is balance. You know, being an elite athlete, being an athlete in general, it's really hard to be balanced when you're focused so much on a singular goal. And so I really try to promote balance with the clients that I work with by helping them gain better relationships with their teammates or their friends, you know, putting more focus on school and just having other passions other than their sport. It's important to have that balance in order to be successful as an athlete, but also as a well-balanced human. Yeah, I can understand that, Kimberly. But I mean, I'm sure even when you were a teen and you had goals and aspirations, you wanted to be a world champion and Olympic gold medalist and all that sort of stuff, is at that age, you sort of don't worry about anything else. And I know I was a professional athlete as well. And I remember as a kid, you know, all I wanted to do was be a footballer. I didn't want to learn. I didn't want to do anything. Just give me a footy. It's easy for you because you're, you know, you've got some wisdom and experience on your side. But when you're trying to teach teenagers that say, you know, shut up, Kimberly, I just want to swim and win a gold medal, you know, how do you get them to actually listen and take action on that balanced approach? Yeah, that's a really good question. So a lot of the times they're really open. They come to me with questions about either a coach or a teammate or their parents or a friend or a boyfriend or something in their life that's affecting their energy levels and their focus that has nothing to do with performance. Sometimes it does have to do with performance, but at the end of it, the themes always come up in different areas in their life. And so it depends on the client. It depends who I'm working with, but the children that I'm working with are very open to listening to me and to getting my perspective and my advice. So it's actually been a really important relationship in the sense that I'm learning when I'm teaching them because I'm sharing my life experiences with them to help them understand resiliency, to understand patience, to understand all the life lessons that I've learned in my 30 years of competitive swimming. What did you start when you were like two years old? Well, we had a pool growing up. So like my earliest memories of swimming, my earliest memories of, of in life are swimming, you know, so I don't remember a time I wasn't in a pool, but my first team, I was eight and I'm turning 37 in a couple months. And so I've been swimming for almost, I've been competitive swimming for almost 30 years, but I've been swimming my entire life. That's awesome. So the balance thing, and I want to just stick there for a little bit. You obviously found yourself out of balance with training and with focus. How is that affecting you personally, emotionally, physically? What was the impact of that out of balance approach to your life? Yes. It was really intense, obviously, training for the Olympic Games. You know, certain days we would have three times a day of practice and I would be completely burnt out um, physically and mentally, emotionally, spiritually depleted. And I didn't even realize it at the time. You know, I was so focused on becoming the best that I could be that I didn't realize how unhealthy it was for me to be beating myself up if I wasn't having a perfect practice, if I didn't get the split that I wanted, if I didn't get the time that I wanted in a certain set, I remember crying in the car on the drive back home. And it was just, I was beating myself up because I was such a perfectionist and I wanted to be the best that I could be. That's not healthy. You know, it's like I, my mom would always say to me, did you try your best? And I'm like, yeah, I tried my best, but I should have done this. I should have done that. I should, you know, and she was like, Kim, did you try your best? And like, what is success to you? And she said that to me and I was like, well, it's trying the best that I could try, you know? And so I was always trying the best that I could. And that is success, no matter if you win or lose. And that lesson 
I took away from my career and it took me a really long time to heal from beating myself up for not having that perfect grace or that perfect practice. So where did that come from, do you think, that drive to be the best and be better and work harder? And where did you develop that belief that if you weren't achieving, then you weren't successful? I'm not sure where I developed it. I mean, we grew up with a very competitive family and I have two brothers. I have a younger sister. We were all very athletic growing up. We played every sport. We were in multiple sports. We also played piano. Our schedule was packed. You know, we went to school. We went to so- I went to soccer practice, swim practice, piano practice, and then I had homework. And then it was the same thing the next morning. So I just grew up in a very active and very driven family. Everybody in my family is very hardworking. They're very focused. They're very successful. And that was just part of our family culture. Yeah. Okay. So at what point then did you realize that you need to change your approach? Because, I mean, it's interesting, is it? We think we've got to be one-eyed maniacal about our goal when really there's still room for balance, right? Like you can still have a social life and you can still have different elements of your life and still achieve at a high level. So at what point did you realize, well, yeah, I I really need to start creating some balance here? The moment where I really, truly realized it, I guess it was multiple moments, right? It's never like one thing. Sometimes it's multiple signs that come together, right? So for me, it was 2008 and 2012. 2008, when I made the Olympic team, I made it in the relay for the 4 by 200 freestyle relay. But I missed the Olympic team in my favorite event, the 200 fly. And that was when, that was like the first time that I realized the negative impact of that perfectionist mindset. And then 2012, I missed the Olympic team. Again, I got third place at trials. And at that point I needed, I, that was like, I need balance. I've been focusing on swimming my entire life. I've been trying to be the best I could be. I've actually done everything I could possibly do to be the best I could be. So now I'm going to put my energy into my other passions And I'm going to move to New York because that's where I I wanted to live for a very long time. And I could represent the New York Athletic Club and I could swim and I could pursue writing. I could get in playing music again. And so that's really where I started growing and expanding. Like I kind of think of it like an octopus, right? Like eight different interests. Like I was just going in so many different directions in a really healthy way. And nobody cared about swimming. They're like, wait, what? Like, what is a split? Like no one knew what swimming was. And I was like, thank God. Like, I love this mindset. And I was surrounded by swimmers for so long that I hadn't really been exposed to spending time with people who are just artists and creatives. Wow. I kind of went on a tangent. No, no, that's good. No, that's really good because it was, it's obviously when you took off to New York and you started focusing on other things, then your swimming got better. You started improving. You started having more energy. You started... Yeah. I mean, my time, yeah. I mean, that's debatable because my times like 2012, like I I went back to the trials in 2016. I didn't have my best time, but I also had a, a healthier mindset. And to me, that's more important than a medal is a healthy mindset. Love that. Okay. Let's hold that thought. So a healthy mindset is more important than a medal. And that is a wonderful perspective. I think that's, that's a wonderful message because I think we're so focused on result, 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 result. We've got to stand exactly. on the podium, got to have the medal around our neck. And in the process, we compromise our, our physical, mental and emotional well-being. Exactly. And to the point where, you know, there are some athletes, and I'm sure you know them, that are 
damaged forever because of that maniacal yeah. focus to put a medal around their neck. So we're going to come back after a short break and we're going to hear the whole story of how Kim got herself to the Olympics. It's a wonderful story. Looking forward to hear it. We'll be back. Be inspired, be engaged, get motivated and make real change in your life and the people around you. Andrew Jobling knows how to inspire. On stage, he's riveting and engaging. Andrew is helping audiences around the world live their best life. Book him for a face-to-face or an online event. Go to andrewjobling.com.au to find out more. So, Kimberly, I am chomping at the bit because I want to hear this story of yours because I know there's a lot of resilience tied into this story of yours of how you became an Olympian. And I think it's going to inspire lots of people that are maybe struggling a little bit at the moment or lacking belief in themselves or things aren't working out the way they want. And I know your story is going to inspire them. So tell us, how did you get into swimming in the first place? How did that all start? Yes, for sure. Um, My childhood, so my earliest memories in my life are around a pool deck uh, in Moraga, California, in the north, northern California. And my older brother and my younger brother and I would spend every single day in the in our backyard pool. So we would just be racing each other, playing games, making stuff up. My younger sister was not old enough to be swimming with us. She was she's five years younger than me, but there were four of us, and we all grew up swimming in the summer. And so we had so much energy, right? I'm always chasing my brothers around and I just wanted to beat them. And I was very, very, very much a tomboy. Like I just, I had so much competitive drive and I wanted to be better than them. And my parents were like, okay, these kids have way too much energy. We have to put them on a swim team. So we went to a swim team and I was like in love with all of my coaches. All my friends were there. Like summer days growing up were my favorite or my favorite memory. You know, we spent all day at the pool We'd have swim practice. We would go get a grilled cheese and I got passion fruit, you know, juice squeeze. And then I'd be like talking to my friends and going back to the pool for afternoon swim lessons. And by the time I was 12, I started doing well in the end of the end of summer swim meet. There was this big championship meet called the All Orinda. And it was the biggest meet of my life at the time. It was like bigger than to me, my, those memories, it was like the Olympic Games. Like everyone I knew was there. My whole family, all the community was together and it was so much fun racing. And I swam pretty fast when I was 11 and 12. And then one of the year round coaches noticed that I got high point award. You know, I won the 53, I won the 50 fly. Maybe I won the I am something, but the coaches came over to my father and I was there and, and they said, would Kim be interested to swim year round, you know, and train in the fall and winter and start doing morning practice. And it was a really big decision for me because I was 12 and I had to decide, am I going to leave my summer league team to go year round? You know, what is that going to look like? But I was really interested to see what would happen, you know, so we decided to do it, obviously. And I went to year round swimming when I was 12 and I almost quit. I hated it. It was so cold. So swimming in Northern California was swim outside, right? So in the mornings at 5 a.m., 5.30 a.m., there's like ice on the pool deck in the winter and there's pouring, it's like pouring rain. And it was just so awful. I remember like being exhausted. My hair was wet in class. I would fall asleep in class. And then I have to go back to the pool and have afternoon workout. And I was just so beat up and I was so tired. I remember 
thinking this is not what I expected. I I'm gonna quit swimming. You thought it was no, gonna be all glamorous. I, I, I don't I don't really know what I thought. I think I was a little bit nerve, obviously nervous to go to a more competitive program, and then I was also. 12 years old and so I was like going through puberty and I had an attitude so I was like I don't like this I was such a piece of work like I was always you know speaking my mind at a very young age and so I would talk back to the coach and and be like why are we doing this I was always so curious but I, I wanted to actually know like what's the point of this I wasn't trying to be disrespectful but sometimes it came across as that so it was just a really turbulent transition and I was able to talk to my coach and say this isn't what I thought it was going to be like. I'm tired all the time. My hair's wet. I fall asleep in class. I don't like this. I don't want to do this. And he said to me, all right, Kim, in two weeks, there's a big meet coming up. He knew I loved to race. So he was like, let's just focus on your stroke. Focus on your technique. Focus on your teammates, your friends. Focus on being in the moment. Focus on day by day, stroke by stroke set by set. And I, that was really the first time that I learned how to be in the moment. You know, I, I listened to him and he convinced me because I was so excited to race. He knew that that would get me. And so I agreed to do that. I said, okay, well, I could do another two weeks. And, and then he's like, we'll revisit this conversation after the meet. And so every day I was working on my technique. I was talking way too much to my friends, just like being in the moment, not really worried about the next day. Fast forward two weeks later, we go to the swim meet and I went my best time in the 53 and I got the junior national cut on the dot. And I didn't even know what a junior national cut was. Everyone came over to me. They're like, you just got juniors. You're going to go to North Dakota. And I was like, why would I go to North Dakota? What are you talking about? And they're like, because you made junior nationals. You get to compete with all the other kids, you know, in your age group. And my coaches were all happy. And Instead of quitting swimming, I went to junior nationals and I got super excited and motivated and inspired because everyone was swimming so fast. And I was like, I want to swim faster. And so instead of quitting swimming, I quit my other sports. I quit piano and I focused on swimming. And that was really like the first step of the journey. That's a wonderful message too. And your coach did a, spoke to you beautifully, didn't he? Like he, he or she? He. He. So I mean, that he knew the psychology. He understood you. And, and, oh, I, yeah. and I, I love the message about focus stroke by stroke and day by day. And I think that's a really powerful message right there, isn't it? And I think we think about how long it's going to take to achieve something, how far off it seems, how hard it is, how cold it is, and all the things you are focusing on. But when you just focus on one stroke one day at a time and focus in the moment, I think that's a really powerful message. So awesome. Yeah. That was definitely my first life lesson in the sport was to be in the moment. And I, that carried me through my career. That's a great lesson. Cool. So then you went to nationals. You're a junior superstar. What happened then? So then I was 16. I made my first Olympic trial. And so fast forward a couple of years later, I go to Olympic trials. I was terrified. I was so intimidated by all the Olympians, all the gold medalists, the world record holders, American record holders. I was just kind of like a deer in headlights. Who was it at the time? Like I remember watching Misty Hyman, Christy Kowal, like all these amazing female athletes, even one of my best friends, Aaron Pearsall. I remember watching him make the Olympic team. We're the same age and he's one of my dear friends. And so I just remember being there watching finals and, and I remember thinking like, that'd be cool to one day be a semi-finalist at the Olympic trials. Like I didn't make semi-finals, but I watched them getting paraded out 
And I remember thinking in my head, I want to be a semifinalist because I think I got like 18th in the 100 fly. And that was two spots away from semifinals. So I wasn't at the time, I didn't even believe that I could be an Olympian, but it was such a learning experience because I swam terribly because I was focused on everyone else. So at that meet, I really learned that I cannot compare myself to other people. I have to focus on myself and I have to focus on my race strategy, what I can control and my lane. And that was a huge, huge, huge experience for me because I carried that as well with me moving forward to be able to focus on what I can control and focus on my own lane and to really tune into what I need to be the best athlete that I could be. Awesome. And let's pause there because there's another amazing, amazing lesson. That's a great lesson. Focus on your own lane. And I think because how often do we look sideways and compare ourselves? The comparison trap is the biggest trap of all because wherever we look to find someone better, we'll always find someone better. When we focus on our own journey, then we can improve, right? Exactly. And that's something that I really, really had to work on at that age. I was 16 years old. You know, I was developing into a young woman and then I carried on into UCLA. And that's really where I grew into the Olympian that I became because of Cindy Gallagher. And Cindy Gallagher was the head coach of UCLA for over two decades She's like a mother figure to me. She's one of my best friends. I love her. I just had lunch with her last week. Like she will always be in my life because she gave me the confidence and she gave me the tools that I needed to become an Olympic swimmer. Okay. So you're 16 now and tell us about your first, you had quite a few attempts, correct? At making the Olympic five attempts. What kept you going? Well, I love the swimming. I love competing. I love racing. I love being in water. And so my passion for swimming turned into my career. When I was younger, I would have never believed that I'd be an Olympic medalist and I would be able to travel the world competing and teaching and speaking about it. So what for me, when I was 16, you know, I missed the team. I swam terribly. And then the second time I went to the Olympic trials, I was a sophomore at UCLA And I had way more experience because I had been racing at NCAAs, at Pac-10s. At the time, it was Pac-10s. Now it's Pac-12s. So I knew what to expect. I knew who was going to be there. I knew what my race plan was. I had been to trials before. So I kind of had more experience and more knowledge of what I needed to do moving forward. So I made semifinals, got my goal. And then I made, and then I won the semifinal heat and I made finals. And I remember being so excited to swim in the final heat at the Olympic trials. And I got to race my favorite swimmer, Misty Hyman, who was the gold medalist from the 2000 Olympic Games in Sydney. And she was right next to me. And so I'm like swimming right next to my favorite swimmer, my role model, who is now my friend. And we have coffee. And I'm like, I can't believe I'm friends with my role model. And Misty was right next to me. And and NBC was like in her face because she was American record holder at the time. And my whole family was there. And I just remember thinking, this is so surreal. I can't believe I'm in this moment. I'm about to try out for the Olympics and maybe I could make it. Um, First three laps of the race, I was so in my zone. The last lap, I lost focus. I started looking around Mm -hmm. and I started spinning and I lost my rhythm. I lost my breathing pattern. And I, I, you know, the last lap of the 200 fly is never fun, but I missed the team that year by three spots. I got fifth place and they take top two. But even though I missed the team that year, that is the race that really clicked in my brain how close I was. 
Yeah, it gave you belief moment. that you could actually do it. Yes, it was that moment that I was like, and I remember having a conversation with my family. You know, they, everyone was so excited that I made the final key. I got fifth place. I was three spots away. And that's when I was like, okay, I need to do everything I can to be the best swimmer I could be so in four years I can make it. And so that is what happened. You know, I came back from missing the team, sat down with Cindy, and we had a list of everything to do. And we, and that was a long list. I had to sleep more. You know, I'm a night owl. I like to stay up late. So I had to sleep more. I started working with a sports psychologist. I started working with a nutritionist. I started working with a yoga teacher, Pilates teacher. I started eating healthier, sleeping more, drinking water. And everything in my life was focused on being the best swimmer I could be. And then it really took off from there. I made the national team the following year. I won nationals in the 200 fly. And then I went down to Australia and I got to race Jessica Schiffer and the 200 butterfly at the world championships. And that was one of my favorite races. That was in Melbourne, yeah? Yeah. And that was your fastest time? Yes. That was my, I just like a second and a half because I was so in love with Australia. I loved racing all the Australian swimmers. I love how Australians love the sport so much. It was really a special, it was a really special moment for me. And the other thing about swimming fast in Australia is it's downhill. (laughs) Because <laughs> we're at the bottom of the earth. So. That's why I swam so fast. Yeah, you're swimming downhill, so that that helped. That's that's, that's wonderful. So t- now, tell me about tell us about the time then when you made that Olympic team. That yes. mo- that moment that's the swim yeah. in the moment when you actually looked up and you qualified for the Olympic team. Yeah. So after 2004, when I missed the team for the second time, you know, four years. Fast forward for four years, I was able to train with Michael Phelps, Bob Bowman, the fastest swimmers on the national team in the United States. I was doing that altitude camp training that hard in my life. I've never been that tired in my life. And I just remember thinking like, I better make the Olympic team. I'm working my, you know, I'm working my tail off. This is, I've never been so focused before. And so moving forward to the Olympic trials for my third time was 2008. I was swimming really fast in the freestyle. You know, I was training so much that my freestyle started developing and I was a butterflyer. Oh, I'm both. I'm a freestyler and a butterflyer. But 200 butterfly was like my bread and butter. That was, that's what I made the national team in. That's what I won nationals in. That's what I had a medal at the world championships in. So my experience is racing internationally at the 200 fly. But then 2008 rolls around and I was swimming faster in my 100 free, faster in my 200 free. And so all the coaches were like, you could make the relay. You could also make the relay team on top of the 200 fly. But the 200 free and the 200 fly pretty much overlapped. It was like the final of the 200 free was the same night as, as the semifinal of the 200 fly. So that's two 200s long course, 15 minutes apart at the Olympic trials. Pretty intense, you know? And so I was, I just remember thinking, this is going to hurt. <laughs> this is going to really hurt. And I learned, you know, I took the lessons that I learned from my childhood, be in the moment. I'm, I'm going to be in the tuner free right now. I'm going to focus on four laps. I'm not going to focus on the next thing. And so I remember doing really well in the morning, the prelims, doing really well in semifinals. I find myself in the final heat of the 200 fly. I find myself in the final, in the semifinal heat of the 200, fr- 200 fly. So I was exactly where I needed to be. And so I remember swimming four laps of the 200 free. They take top six for the relay. 
And I wasn't looking at anyone because I was so focused on myself. I was in my breathing pattern, doing six kicks off the wall, not breathing into the turns, just executing all the details. And I remember touching the wall and my, my coach's daughter, Tori was working for NBC. And so she was on deck and I remember Tori was right behind my lane and I touched the wall. And before I even looked at the clock, I looked at Tori and Tori went like this. She went five, which means I made. You're in the top six. They take top six. So I remember seeing five and just like looking at her and turning around and looking at my name and then looking at my teammate, Caroline Burkle, who I'm when I talked to her today, she's one of my best friends as well. And Carol and I were on the same relay team and we looked at each other and everyone, you know, starts hugging, but I had to get out of the pool and essentially jump in the warm down pool to get ready for my semifinal. Like I hugged my boyfriend at the time. I hugged my coach and then I jumped in the warm down pool and I had to just, I couldn't even celebrate. I had to focus on my two fly. And then I go back to the ready room 10 minutes later, still out of breath from making the Olympic team. And everyone was so excited. Like all my, t- all my competitors were like, oh my God, you're going to Beijing. I'm like, oh my God, we're swimming to your fly in three minutes. Like we had to focus. And then the two fly was the easiest to fly in my life. I was so happy that I was just like flying through the water. But then the next morning I was exhausted and I had the finals of the two fly. And so that next night I missed the Olympic team. So 24 hours, I made the Olympic team in the, in the relay. And then I missed the Olympic team in my favorite event. So for me, it was incredibly bittersweet. It was like heartbreaking to not race my race that I thought it was my race, you know, but I was also equally, if not more thrilled to be going to Beijing to compete in the relay. Wow. What a story. That's incredible. And it's amazing what adrenaline does for you, doesn't it? Obviously that night we had those two 200 meter races, Brutal. Within 15 minutes brutal. apart. Like, it's brutal, remember. but you don't realize it. The pain, you don't feel the pain because you're in that that adrenaline state. You're in that emotional state, which gets you through, doesn't it? And then obviously you had the hangover the next day. The body said, right, you're going to suffer for that. But uh, Yeah, I just remember waking up and being like, ouch, ouch. Like, oh, God, ouch. But, you know, that's swimming. That's swimming. It's 200 fly, 200 free. Like, it's a hard race. And I think that's why I like butterfly. I like the challenge of being in the mindset of I'm breaking down physically and I need to be strong mentally to get through this. Wow. And again, amazing lesson there, you know, physically, our physical body will do effectively what our brain tells it to do. So if we can control that mental space, then it's amazing what our body can then go forth and do. Kimberly, we're going to have another quick break and then I want to come back and I want to talk about Beijing. So we will be back shortly. In today's world, telewellness has been thrust into the spotlight. The wellness industry has been growing every year, and an increasing number of both individuals and businesses are looking for wellness solutions and services. In order to compete in today's market and give your customers the care and attention they expect, you need a partner in growth. Best Being is the first software service designed specifically for the wellness industry. Our suite of highly advanced but easy to use online tools and discovery platform make engaging with your customers and providing the wellness services they need a breeze. Supercharge your business today with Best Being. Go to bestbeing.com provider to learn more and get started today. Kimberly, that was just such a great story. I was sitting there just captivated as you were telling that story and I almost forgot that we were having an interview on a podcast and I 
But um, now what I'm sure people want to hear about the Beijing experience actually being in an Olympic game and, and swimming in an Olympic team. Tell us a little bit about that. Definitely. This tour is always different than what people think. For me, like people are like, oh, what was it like at the Olympics? It must have been so incredible. And it was, but it was also incredibly stressful. It was so overwhelming. We were in China. It was my first time being in Beijing. It was August. It was so hot. The air quality was not great. And we were competing in front of the world. So I just remember being so, so, so stressed and trying to take all the lessons that I learned in my life, be in the moment, take it day by day. Um, but it was really fun in a lot of ways, but it was also just heightened emotions in every possible way, if that makes sense. Because we were training, we had two training trips. We had um, a train trip in California, and then we went to Singapore, and then we went to Beijing. So after we made the Olympic team, we essentially flew straight to the next training trip. So that whole summer I spent away from my family, away from my friends. But thankfully I was with one of my best friends, Amanda Beard, who was also on the Olympic team. It was her fourth Olympic games. And I was very thankful to have her there because it, she had done it before. She knew how to handle that pressure and I was her roommate. And so I was so excited to just have a good friend, have like a sister-like figure in my life just to kind of deal with the stress of being at the Olympic Games and preparing for essentially the biggest moment in my life. Yeah. Tell us about that biggest moment in your life. So I swam in the relay, the 4 by 200 freestyle relay, and I swam in the prelims, and I went third. And I remember I remember it was so bright in the natatorium because there were so many cameras. There were, pool, and there were cameras in the pool. There were cameras on the deck. There were cameras in the ready room and I was so thankful I had my mirrored goggles on because I was just, I felt like I was swimming in a flash, right? And it was really quiet in Beijing, like on the pool deck, it was very quiet compared to being in Omaha, Nebraska, making the Olympic team at the Olympic trials with fireworks and the national anthem and screaming and cheering. Like, so I went from the Olympic trials, which for the U.S. and Australia, it's like a huge meet. It's almost as big as the Olympics. And then going to the Olympics and it being very quiet. And so I was kind of shocked by that. But it was this, it was a beautiful pool. And it was, for me, I don't even remember swimming. I remember, what I remember is the ready room and being in, like, after being in the warm down pool. Like, it was such a blur. Like, it was so quick. It went by so fast. I went, I swam for a minute and 50-something seconds. Like, it was, it was over, like, a flash in a flash. That was kind of what it felt like. And I loved, my favorite part was watching my teammates. I got to watch Michael Phelps win eight gold medals. I got to wow. watch my, my favorite swimmers, one of my other dear friends, Natalie Coughlin, win another gold medal in her hundred back. So, and watching Aaron Pearsall, watching Rebecca Sony, watching, I just remember loving watching my teammates, like Amanda Beard swim and being able to support each other and to be in the journey together. And to be able to put USA stickers on my face and dress up and do cheers and just to experience the whole thing, not just racing, just to have that balanced approach of I'm going to soak this up and really appreciate these moments because they're going to last for a lifetime. After we competed, we stayed in Beijing and I was able to go to the Great Wall of China and I was able to go to just explore the city and go out to dinners. And that was really special as well. 
uh, we went to the, we went shopping. What was it called? I forgot the shopping center, but I remember just really soaking in the culture and enjoying that. So I think we were in China for almost a month. We were there for three or four weeks. Wow, what an experience. So as you reflect over your journey from this little girl who got inspired and, and motivated to swim all the way through to your Olympic experience, what's the most vivid memory or the most powerful lesson that you take out of that? That's such a good question. You know, so the Olympics was an incredible journey for me. However, it was 2012 that really, that was the biggest lesson for me. I missed the team by one spot. I got third at the Olympic trials for the second time in the 200 fly, but I didn't make it in the relay. And at that point I was able to see, like I was able to see how blessed I was to have the opportunity to travel the world to train with the best swimmers, the best coaches, to have the opportunity to compete at so many Olympic trials and to have that support system that I realized how blessed and how lucky and how thankful I was. And I had this overwhelming sense of gratitude towards the people who supported me in my journey, my best friends, my teammates, my family, my coaches, everyone. And I went back to the town I grew up in after I missed the Olympic team in 2012 And I remember sitting on the pool deck with my coaches from my childhood and just talking about it. And we were watching their practice. We were watching the kids. They were like 12, 13 swim. And I remember saying to them, I want to be in London so bad. It physically hurts. My heart's broke. I want to be there so bad. And that passion was so strong. And it was kind of a beautiful thing too, because I was like, I love this sport, even though it broke my heart and I missed the team it gave me the opportunity to have my education paid for. I had a full ride scholarship to UCLA. It allowed me to travel the world and to meet people from different cultures. It gave me so many life lessons. And so I was able to reflect and get a bigger perspective of everything that I've learned in my career and my life. And I didn't want to stop swimming at that moment. I'm like, I'm going to keep swimming. Why do I have to stop? I could pursue other careers and I could pursue other passions, but I could always go into the water and swim butterfly and be happy with that. Yeah. Isn't that awesome? I mean, I love that. There's that saying that success is not a destination, it's a journey. And when you're young and you all you can think about is the destination, you think, what a load of rubbish. You know, I remember training to be a professional Australian footballer and it was painful. And all I wanted to do was be on the team and run run through the banner out into the ground in front of the crowd. And, you know, I thought that would be the pinnacle of, you know, success. But the thing that I talk about, like what you talk about most, is the journey and the times that you learned and you had to grow and you had to overcome and you you became the person that you are. And I think that's where the real success is. And I really believe 100% now that being in the moment and focusing on every day and what lessons are there and what to learn and how to improve and how to, and all about perspective and gratitude is a very, very powerful choice that we can all make. I think, yeah, uh, yeah your story is wonderful, Kimberly. Thank so, you. I appreciate it. This has been incredible. So, tell us now, Kimberly, if people want to contact you, find out more about Kim Swim, find out more about your speaking. And they're going to want to know about this book that you're going to be writing very soon, aren't they? Yes, I'm definitely going to write a book that's been on my mind for years now. Hopefully you'll help me get that goal going at one point. Definitely. I look forward to it. 
Absolutely. So my website is www.kimswimstudios.com. On Instagram, I'm Kim Swim and Kim Swim Studios. And you could DM me, you could email me, everything is online. And I would love to connect and help and give back to the world in a positive way. Yeah, wonderful. And your dog is barking. And, in, and she's barking in, Coco. She's, she's Coco. Coco is saying, yes, go, mom. Go, Coco's mom. Like, mom, I want to play. She's three months old. She's hilarious. Oh, she's- I took her to the pumpkin patch today. It was her first time seeing giant pumpkins that were like seven times the size of her. Oh, that's funny, isn't it? Anyway, Kim, thank you so much for your time. It's been wonderful chatting to you. And I'm, I know I've got a feeling. You're going to write a book and I'm going to help you write a book and you're going to be in Australia yeah. and we're going to we're going to speak on stages together and I'm going to yeah. be I'm going to be in in LA very soon and you and I I've got this feeling that we're going to go and inspire people and uh, I love and it. I'm really looking forward to it so thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much Andrew. Pleasure. I appreciate it. Okay. Thanks Kimberly. Bye. Well, I told you and I knew I wouldn't disappoint you. Thank you Kimberly Vandenberg for what a wonderful conversation. The message was there. The message was strong. Her message of balance, her message of resilience, her message of, you know, really living in that moment and being mindful about every single day and every single stroke and really focusing on your own lane. Wow, there's some powerful lessons that came out of that conversation with Kimberly Vandenberg. You can find her at www.kimswimstudios.com and she's very happy for you to reach out to her. She's doing some incredible stuff and, yeah, she's really having an impact on people's lives. So please reach out to her at any point. I'm always grateful that you've joined me for another week on the Wellness Puzzle podcast and I'm also grateful for Best Being, my sponsors, and they're at bestbeing.com, Fernando and the team, also in LA, so in the same city as Kimberly, are doing a wonderful job to help me spread my message of optimal well-being and helping people live a life of joyful longevity so thanks again to you kimberly and look forward to having you with me again next week my name is andrew jobling this is the wellness puzzle podcast